Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the overlap. Of course, you're joined by myself and Rian. This is like the third time I've tried to start this. First time I didn't know we were recording. Second time my voice cracked. Now I, I guess we're recording anyway. All right, we move on. Oh, it's been such a long like last five days, Rian. That like honestly, so. <laughs> Full disclosure, I don't think I've worked fully in like two weeks now because of vacation plus being sick. And now I guess I have to go to work tomorrow. <laughs> so yeah, that I'm not looking forward to. But what's good? What's good? Not much, man. Not much. Um, I'm sorry to hear that you had a, a pretty bad bout with uh, your stomach versus some Trader Joe's salmon. Dude, I, <laughs> I never thought my my faith and love for Trader Joe's would waver, but... I highly, highly recommend just make sure you know what you're putting in your body. Make sure you check all the dates on packaging. And uh, yeah, Trader Joe's, I, I still have love for you, but uh, not not too pleased with your fresh Atlantic salmon. Uh, that was the part I was going to ask you about um, that I forgot to ask you about. After you felt sick, did you check like the packaging again? No, dude. So yeah. I I didn't. That's the thing. So I actually I called Trader Joe's and I was like, hey, just so you know, I got like violently ill from one of your packaging or one of your items. And they're like, did you check the packaging? I was like, so my first thought was no, I didn't. But also like, I shouldn't get food poisoning from something that was on your shelf. Like I probably should have checked it for my own health for sure. But like, I shouldn't be like over a toilet for two days. <laughs> so check that <laughs> first and foremost. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. That's that's fair. Even if it was expired, it's still not necessarily <laughs> your fault that it's on the shelf. So. It, doesn't, it doesn't fix the original problem. Yeah, uh, yeah. But yeah, I, I fully should have done that. Um, just didn't even cross my mind. But yeah, feeling better now. Got some rest. Um, I ordered two massive bottles of Pedialyte from Walgreens, like delivery. And I could only get through one in like two days. <laughs> so if you want, if you want a bottle of Pedialyte, like, like you're more than welcome to. <laughs> what, what was it? It was like too much sugar or like too big of a bottle. Dude, it was just, it was just the taste. <laughs> There's no the way taste? I was keeping, much, uh... keeping that shit in my body. Oh, for, <laughs> oh yeah. Could you keep anything long? in your body? Uh, not for like two days. Once, right. once I started getting without some... getting too graphic here, obviously. Yeah, of course, of course. <laughs> We're here to talk about football, not uh, not what came out of my body. Um, but yeah, no. Once, once the uh, the soup and the toast went down, uh, it was a it was a slow slow road to recovery. But we ride. We're doing okay. I got a chance to still go and do things this weekend. Um, saw our friends two cats, which was amazing. They're adorable little things. Uh, went to a nice little museum exhibit and uh, saw a couple of friends here and there. So re, re, I almost said, uh, I was trying to say meanwhile, and I said meanwhile, so I combined your name. Um, meanwhile, <laughs> Rian, on the other hand, got a chance to do some some wholesome activities on Saturday night for, for once. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Everything was, yeah. I, I, I was in a home for almost the entirety of the night and not in a... Um in a basement or in like a apartment or in a club or a bar or something like that so <laughs> it was it was honestly for for me especially since I had to do some work over the weekend it was it was uh needed really and also still a little cold I, I 
I think we still have another couple of weeks before the weather is more consistently good on the weekends and for us to be able to actually do stuff outside. So yeah, I was actually thinking about to have that. these weekends. I was thinking about that specifically, like I, probably come what the end of March is when we could probably say, all right, we can go out and play soccer right in the park. Like we can go do things kind of again. Um, and even like sit outside in the yard, you know what I mean? Are we, are we that old? Like, am I old enough to say like, I want to sit outside in the yard and like chill for a little bit. Is that okay? <laughs> no, I don't think, I don't think, I don't think it's crazy <laughs> because it's just that most like 95% of real estate in the city has yeah. no open yard space. So <laughs> That's it's hard so true. To, it's hard to have that as a concept of relaxation. Yeah. Here. Yeah. Facts. <laughs> That's so facts. Oh man. Yeah. I fully agree. Well, at the very least, we still got a chance to go over, watch, celebrate. And in some of our cases, not celebrate the uh, highs and lows of this weekend's games. Rian, let's start in England. I think it's pretty fair to say that our game of the weekend is going to be the Carabao cup. Again, I don't know what it is with England's scheduling. Like I genuinely want to like ask you or someone else is like how they move games around. Because again, this game kind of snuck up on me. Like I look at my calendar midweek towards the end of the week and I'm like, okay, which is my preferred game of the weekend. And originally it was going to be city Everton. And then I was like, Oh, I woke up this morning. I was like, oh, the Carabao Cup finals. It's just the same thing happened with City Spurs. Like, yeah, the the last few weekends have been kind of the weird time of the year scheduling wise, because we had that kind of that not normal two week break at the end of January because there was those World Cup qualifiers for like the North American and South American uh, countries. But then also right before that we had AFCON and there was FA cup and stuff thrown in there. And the FA cup stuff thrown in like a couple weekends ago. And, and you're getting like a Premier league game weekend every like two weeks right now because of yeah. all these other competitions. So it, it is all confusing right now. I sympathize with you heavily. <laughs> wow. Like, it, it, wow, I appreciate it. Yeah. Much needed. Well, it was still, I mean, let me be clear. I was not disappointed by this game, especially as a neutral I really want to talk about this game. It, it really interested me. Like, and I thought it was such a fascinating, like breakdown in, in how Chelsea played, especially, but let's start obviously with, uh, I guess let's talk about the Chelsea side. Have you seen or thought of watched, reviewed, analyzed a better nil nil game in the last like several years? Like, I, I'm genuinely trying to think of one now and I, I it doesn't come to mind. Yeah, I, I'm look, this is always really hard to <laughs> caveat everything with like recency bias. Yeah, but I really yeah, yeah. can't. It's really hard for me to remember. It's hard for me to remember just from it's talking from an England League Cup um, point of view. Hard for me for me to remember a better League Cup final that I've seen any time recently. Like, I guess the, I, the most city recent... have won them. But so yeah, won, what four four in a row or something coming into this, and I think the only one that was somewhat controversial was the when they played Chelsea, right, <laughs> and, and there was right. a whole Kepa situation with sorry, but like, I don't remember that being that good of a game, honestly. Even though I think I think it went to penalties as well, so. right, right. So I I guess there was one was there one with Watford years ago, or 
was it Leeds? No, not Leeds. Um, I don't know. Memory escapes me, but it wasn't a nil-nil. It was just a, a very fascinating game. Oh, it was Leicester. It was Leicester. Never mind. Mm, I think it was Leicester. A, a cup final? Yes. It wasn't the Carabao Cup. Anyway, well, I digress. Maybe, yeah, yeah. I don't know. Maybe, maybe, Forget, maybe it, it's irrelevant. We're but, moving but, on. <laughs> yeah. Um, no, it's hard to... That was... Try... I'm trying to be from a neutral point of view because look from the point of view of someone supporting one of those sides, I thought that I died four different times <laughs> in that game. <laughs> like, so, so, Ugh, so like, I, yeah. I'm sure that must have been a great thing from a neutral's point of view. Um, but <laughs> from just looking at the game as a whole, like that was that was one of the best games in England this season for sure. And yeah. And, uh, and another game where it's Liverpool's involved and you're like, it was probably one of the best games of the season. And that's just kind of their, that's kind of their brand this season, especially. Um, but I think just from both teams, the intensity, the, like, we remember that game at the beginning of January, it was the 2-2 draw. And, and there was like just outrageous intensity through the, I think it was like the first 45 minutes of that game. But even so in that game, the second half kind of died off and, yeah. and be- and the energy wasn't quite there this game was it felt like it was there for at least 90 minutes I mean the 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 half hour of of extra time the players were a little more fatigued and it's not like there weren't chances though (laughs) yeah there were chances oh yeah yeah of course and the teams both (laughs) teams both teams started playing long more like Liverpool already plays pretty direct but then it's it's around the same time when Lukaku came on for Chelsea but but both teams were just kind of as soon as they get the ball just going forward and it was like a bit stretched and and not as much precision as we saw in the first 90 minutes but I still think just from a spectacle point of view like that was that was such an amazing level of soccer like that was just an amazing level of intensity in the midfield the midfield battle for I mean just outrageous and it sucks that Tiago Alcantara couldn't play um getting injured in the warmups and that was sad to see him crying on the sidelines before the game but I don't know I like it was it was just like a lot of thunder like blood's guts and thunder I think is what is what uh Jurgen Klopp like to call his or no he's a heavy metal heavy metal football (laughs) right like I mean it felt like that on both sides and I think one of the things I really appreciated from the game was there was a real ebb and flow to it right it was never felt like one team was on top for more than maybe 15 or so minutes and and I think that first 15 was Chelsea the next 15 to 20 was probably Liverpool and then Chelsea in the last like 10 or so minutes of the first half had chances and then I felt like the second half was somewhat similar as well where Chelsea started really well and then Liverpool had their time to be on top and then it just kept going back and forth and I thought that was kind of just we very rarely see that and we very rarely see it with teams at that level especially in a cup final where sometimes it can get pretty pragmatic and that's just not what we saw today and I was really really felt lucky that we got to see those two teams play like that yeah it was refreshing honestly like it was very very I'll say this the initial thought that I had especially after the set or the first half finished I had such a reinvigorated and renowned respect for professional athletes after that. Like that was quite honestly, my first initial thought is there's a reason why they get paid 
bank for what they do because there are very few people in the world that could have just put on that kind of performance across both teams. Like it was a very, very even game overall, in my opinion. We can, I know we will, we'll talk about all the chances, but like generally speaking, as dominance of the game goes, it was very, very even um, and could have gone both ways for large portions of this game. And I had such an appreciation for, for the sport, for just how much running I saw some of these players doing. Like I honestly, I looked at the TV, looked down at my stomach, looked back at the TV and I was like, damn. All right. <laughs> Fair play. Fair play. <laughs> I mean, the intent, like I said, I said, all right, the intensity, but like, that first half, how much the attackers on both teams were tracking back. Yeah. Like yeah. the amount of times we saw Mo Salah have to come back and, and come help try to um, dispossess Chelsea on the left from, from like Alonzo whenever he got forward or or Havertz when he found space on that left side. Like, and, and then the, the speed to Chelsea switch side. it too. Like yeah. the speed to then recover the ball and immediately go the other way. Yep. It yeah. was, oh my God, it, t- it like actually took my breath away now that I think yeah. about it. Yeah, it was it was <laughs> it was an utterly tiring game. From, yeah. If you're one of the supporters, it was actually just emotionally draining. But <laughs> yeah. um, also just think about the guys that got subbed in and, and kept that level of intensity up too. Yeah. Uh, specifically thinking about Konate and Reese James that came in. Reese James coming in for Espelicueta who got injured. You know, mm. Reese James not expecting to play in that game, um, and then for Liverpool Konate comes in for Matip I think sometime maybe for extra time I think um he came in and he kept the same level <laughs> too and and, and and he looks like someone who's who's like the long-term plan to be paired with Ber- Virgil van Dijk and he seems he's got speed and power in his own in his own way um and I was just really really kind of tipping my cap to all those players that subbed in and the levels of the game didn't really drop. Um, well, I'm, I'm actually glad that you we're kind of talking now about the Liverpool side of things. I, I, we could transition to Chelsea in a second, but another player that stood out to me, uh, Luis Diaz, right? I, I don't know how many no look passes yeah, he played, definitely. but Oh my gosh, that <laughs> was hilarious. That. <laughs> I mean, the, it, was, it was like two or three times in the first half where he has the ball like by the corner yeah. basically <laughs> he's no looking the pass every time and it's just i mean he's he was a delight outside of that he's just the amount of runs that these liverpool forwards make if you're a defender you just have to always be turned on like there, there is no rest for for them when they have the ball and luis diaz adds in perfectly to that he just like Salah, just like Mane, just like Jota, just like uh, Harvey Elliott when he comes on is looking to make those runs in behind. And it's fucking terrifying if you're a supporter of the other team watching this happen. Um, But also he showed he has the quality to be really dangerous when he has the ball. And not just for finding shots on his own, but a couple of times where he slipped in like Mane. um, And it's just another another really really like sensible signing for Liverpool for a player that just fits exactly what their team does and you got to tip their cap to their recruiting part department again again 100 like I uh, 
I saw him play during the Copa America where he really had a standout performance. And I was like, he, he should be playing for a top, top side. Um, now, the interesting thing about this is that he started over Diego Jota, who has also had a wonderful season. I'm curious long-term about how that plays out. But in talking about this game round, let's talk about Chelsea for a second. Seven offsides, I believe, right? Um, uh, probably, I'm like tired thinking about how many wonderful chances they had over the course of the game. And I'm, so, I'm sorry to bring this up, but one of the things that struck me about Chelsea was how fluid the attack looked on the counter when Havertz was there over Lukaku. Now, I know you tweeted about this and I know your thoughts about this, but I'm going to ask you to give a justification on whether you think Chelsea actually looked better with Havertz and without Lukaku, or do you think this is a byproduct of the type of game that was being played, right? Very stretched, very elongated, more counterattacking, obviously something that's going to suit someone like Havertz versus Lukaku, more of a holdup type of striker, um, one that is certainly a poacher, right? Likes balls in certain areas. Uh, please, no pun intended, but you know what I mean? So riddle me that. I I said it on Twitter, I said that, you know, these last two games where you're looking at what happened in the Champions League, first leg against Lille where Lukaku's dropped, um, obviously coming off of that seven-touch performance against Crystal Palace, which never looks good for any player, especially, um, especially a striker, that when the club has kind of put so much investment into that player – what we saw in, against Lille and now today, the attack just, it, as Ellie said, it's just more fluid. It, Havertz is doing things very differently than Lukaku. He's much more willing to drop in, to, touch the, to get touches on the ball, to link up the midfield play, right? But on top of that, he's also willing to move side to side right and create space by moving into either the wing areas from going that central area to out or going out to the right side or when they're in the final third also just like dropping off of the of the um center backs and kind of allowing space for other players to run in as we saw i think a great example of that is that mason mount chance in the second half where what first of all Fantastic ball from Christian Pulisic, who I thought was great again today. I think he's had two very good games um, in this week, and and it's really good to see him seemingly getting some of that confidence back. Um, But that play, Havertz drops and drops in a little deep, like not too far away from Pulisic, where Pulisic could, could play the ball into him, or as he does, plays it into Mason Mount, who has found the space because... One, Liverpool kind of don't recognize the run he's making. But two, Van Dyke and Mossip are more concerned with Kai Havertz, who has dropped off and is just in the space after a half of him being a nuisance. <laughs> and and they are just not thinking about that run in behind it. And look, the run also has to be made. Like that's that's a difference too. I think that Chelsea's been missing that in a lot of these games recently. Um, but the run that's made from Mount is 
well-timed and the space is there because Kai Havertz is is not just standing on Van Dyke and looking for someone to play it in behind him or looking for someone to play to feet or something. He's on the move and, and he's making the defenders have to make difficult decisions and split decisions. And the more that you can do that, the more you can open up spaces like we saw um, Chelsea get into a few times uh, today. And, and unfortunately they just couldn't finish, just couldn't finish the chances when they were on side. That was the, that was the toughest part where they were offside, they were finishing perfectly, but you know, uh, Completely different story when they were just onside, but. Um, well, I have a question for you then, right? Because I, I agree mm-hmm. with everything that you were just saying about kind of how those spaces are, are, are occupied differently by Havertz and by Lukaku. But my question is, what value does Lukaku have in this game then, right? Like, obviously, he was brought on in, it was the period of extra time, right? Not late in the second half, period of extra time. and. Yeah. I don't it see. That, it, was, it was right before the end of the second half. Okay, right before maybe the like end of the second 15, half. Maybe like 10, 15. Okay, I lied. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So my, I guess my question is like, what value does he have then to this team and in, in how he fits in? Because he started off on a hot streak largely because I feel like the team adjusted to him, right, as he came into the team. Now that they've kind of done the opposite, and the ball is much more free-flowing, and I think that suits basically the rest of this midfield much, much better. Like, I don't see a world where you play Lukaku and Havertz together. I think, I, I, I don't I don't, was... I don't know if they get, in, they don't get in each other's way, right? That's not my, my concern. But I just don't know what type of chemistry they would develop. I, I genuinely don't yeah. know. Yeah, yeah. And, and look, I'll just to, caveat the the Havertz performances but the other side of that argument is as Ellis is kind of talking about here or when he first asked the question the way Liverpool play opens up spaces like that as well too right and then you saw you saw that with Chelsea's like few disallowed goals like the spaces were opened up but that Liverpool back line is so look uh, from an opposing team's um point of view so annoyingly good at stepping aggressively high and being it's in sync too that's the most important part um so that they catch teams offside they catch they catch more teams offside than anyone else in europe so it's partially obviously you could say maybe that 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 played into have a success from today and if you want to go back to the little game you could say maybe little isn't the the competition level um that you might expect this to work against like a city like we don't know like oh like well i guess we have an idea from this from the champs league final (laughs) but but um but from another sense i that's kind of the other argument but lukaku i didn't think he did poorly when he came on and i and i don't think we'd seen tugel try this Werner, Havertz, and uh, Lukaku front three before. So I was genuinely when it when the subs were made, I was like, I, I'm not sure how this is gonna work, and I and I <laughs> and I, and I was like, this could go very well, <laughs> like I, this could go very well, or, um, or couldn't. But I thought it wasn't a terrible combination. It's just they, between him and Timo, they and and Kai even um, on on Kai's disallowed goal, like they just couldn't quite get the timing of the runs well and that's what makes beating Liverpool so difficult 
Yeah, right I don't now. I don't know if it's so much a reflection of how those three would play together, which I I just I don't know about that so much. I, I, I view those profiles a little bit more diametrically opposing as connect excuse me, as connected, yeah. but that- I don't think it's the best way to bring out Havertz's best skills. Oh yeah. I would say. Yeah, yeah. I, I, think, I think I think maybe it works best for Werner and Lukaku Agreed. for them playing together, but um, yeah. I don't think it brings out the best in, in Kai Havertz. A hundred percent. I think you almost have to sacrifice skill set, which is a shame. But okay, one one last question. There's one other Chelsea thing that I wanted to touch on. You only are allowed to answer with one word or potentially two, depending on your actual answer. Who is Lukaku playing for next season? Uh, you can only say one thing. <laughs> uh, I'm going to say, I think Chelsea, I, my my thought is like 60-40. He's playing for Chelsea. Okay. Um, I'll take and, that. And I, but I, cause I think him leaving would be more up to him than I think the club will. I don't think the club will, will make that move. And I, yeah, I, I think it'll be more up to him than anyone else, even though I, I've already said my piece. I think I think he looks better, <laughs> but but things could change too. Um, it, it there's it's not impossible for the team to find ways to play to his skill set more. But um, as of this point, it's kind of just a aesthetic thing. Which would you like better right now? It's Havertz <laughs> or Lukaku, and I and I'm just in the camp of, of Kai Havertz. But um, not trying to knock Ramu Lukaku. It's just been a tough fit. Yeah, fair enough. Well. Obviously, we have to talk about Chelsea at a club structural level with the most recent news of Roman Abramovich, I guess. How do I want to phrase this? Handing over some of his official unofficial duties to the club charities, um, the other, I guess, portion of ownership of the club. There's a lot that we could dissect from a political standpoint about what's going on, of course, in, in Russia and Ukraine, but just for the purpose of time, for the sake of what, what our expertise really lies on, um, let's talk a little bit about what this club statement, what this decision from Roman Abramovich actually means for Chelsea. My understanding, Rian, is that he still owns the club. This is more of a way to protect the club, the players, the supporters from kind of his any potential relationship interactions with russia period (laughs) (laughs) yeah i mean in in the end of the day it's it's uh it's like a pr move more than anything else this means not much for those of you unaware that abramovich announced that he's handing over stewardship of the club to the Chelsea Charitable Foundation, the board of the Chelsea Charitable Foundation, which includes um, their chair, the chairman of Chelsea, which is who's Bruce Buck, because it's American. Um, and that also includes Chelsea women's manager, uh, Emma Hayes. She's also on the board of the Charitable Foundation. So um, look, I, I think it's all for face, like pure face. And uh, honestly, like from between that and then the statement that the club put out this morning saying uh, the situation on Ukraine, saying the situation in Ukraine is horrific and devastating. Chelsea FC's thoughts are with everyone in Ukraine. Everyone at the club is praying for peace. And that just feels like kind of lip 
service. <laughs> I mean, like, I, we know the situation that Roman Abramovich is in, and and we're not going to go into it too much here. There's, if anyone would like to get a thread to um, the situation or the relationship between Roman Abramovich and Russia and Putin in general, let me know. I'll send you. I'll send you uh, <laughs> a, a couple threads. But um, at the end of all of this, it's it's just kind of a it's just kind of a bummer on everything else with the, the club and uh, yeah. And I'm not going to sit here and act like I'm I have any real affinity towards the owner of Chelsea's <laughs> club, um, knowing his checker history. And it's a really tough thing to try to separate those two things. And, and it's unfortunately something that's becoming more and more commonplace in the sport. Um, obviously, seeing what happened with Newcastle's new owners and the uh, um, obvious questions around Manchester City's owners and PSG's as well. Uh, it's it's one of the really sad things about I think being a supporter of a of a soccer club or a European one for the most part. Yeah, right? is that is that you know this is a possibility. Your owner could be in either in cahoots or was in cahoots and is now <laughs> and is now like terrified of the of a dictator who is just being an oppressor. Um, it's uh it's just an unfortunate thing and and uh it, i'm not gonna say it and act like it hasn't affected kind of my feelings towards the club i still love the players and i still love all the coaches and and i love everything about the club that's on the pitch um and it sucks that you have to try to separate what's going on there and, and like real life atrocities that are going on yeah in, uh, in, in the in world relation and, to something you love yeah you know? and, and it has to be and, and it's something that um you you have to consider you just have to um yeah you can't you can't ignore it so it's it sucks but uh we'll see what happens it's going to be really interesting what happens with the club in the next few months um not gonna act like i have any clue what what could happen <laughs> from the from the like financial side or you know the diplomatic side for well, to, to be fair, I don't but, think anybody knows. Like, it's not yeah. like we're sitting here with sources that can say, oh, this X, Y, and Z is going to happen at an EU level. It's going to yeah. have a, yeah. a trickle-down effect. But I, I, it's just a very difficult situation. That's kind of the only update we have. And this is probably one of the few times I'm not even going to try and speculate. You know, just it's it, it's very difficult, too. So. Yeah. All we know as of now is the club is not up for sale and who knows that could change in two or three months. I, I mean, yeah. we just genuinely don't know. So, yeah. Well, I would laugh, honestly, if you get bought out by the Qataris. So, oh, God. <laughs> I, I mean, I'm, I'm fully going to laugh at that. I'll say that. But I mean, the irony. I mean, obviously, that's the other side. It's the irony of, yeah. of what's happening, what's happened this past weekend and the obvious outrage that'll come from this next week. And we were basically in this sort of same outrage situation last summer with um with obviously Newcastle being bought out by or not the summer sorry it, the fall yeah slash the slash the summer too I guess yeah. the summer was when the when the negotiations began um yeah with Newcastle and their owners and it's just a messy part of uh of soccer right um at this current moment <laughs> truly truly well Rian let's move on talk very very briefly. Um, yeah. about 
the other kind of top game of the weekend, City Everton, really just want to focus on the ending. Um, I thought Everton played as well as they could have against Manchester City. They yeah. Very difficult. <laughs> Was it a handball? That's all I want to know from your from your side. I mean, it it's it's the most obvious handball I've seen in a very very long time, and most of the. T- like half of the time that we get handball calls, I like realistically, you could flip a coin if you want to call that <laughs> handball, and and I and I wouldn't really be that upset whichever way the coin fell. Um, obviously, the ending we're talking about is with Rodri's handball, just about a couple minutes after City went ahead in that game in the 82nd minute, a very just a very unlucky, unfortunate way for ever to to concede with Michael Keane just not being able to move his hips quick enough to kick the ball away um, and Phil Foden sneaking in behind him and scoring. But uh, the handball that wasn't apparently <laughs> was called out because, well, we all thought at first the handball wasn't called because they just thought it wasn't a handball. And then the commentators told us it was an offside decision. So the play was dead. And, and from there I was like, okay, whatever i don't know why they're not <laughs> showing the offside and showing it in the replays and just telling and you know kind of showing the proof that it was offsides but whatever i could live with that and then about half an hour later after the game the um one of the refereeing associations in england came out and said that, that uh, at the moment they thought it was inconclusive but after reviewing again after the game realized that they made a mistake <laughs> and it's just I mean, yeah, they did. Bottom (laughs) bottom line of this is that that terrible, terrible decision. And and on top of that terrible communication to everyone in the the stadium, (laughs) everyone in the commentary, fans at home, um, all of that, this might have an effect on who wins the league. This might have an effect on Everton getting relegated. Like, this is... This is not yep. acceptable. This is why yep. VAR was brought in. Like the, the, it's, I mean, they can't. You can't. This is impossible. This is an impossible situation to be in with the measures that have been put in to stop this stuff from happening. So it's really disappointing. That's that's all I'll I'll say on it. It's extremely disappointing. Yeah, because there's. I mean, listen, with VAR, there's a process that referees are to follow, and. I I just find it baffling that the decision that was made was made as a byproduct of that existing process, right? Which is, of course, check if there's an offside, then see if there's a handball, right? There, there's an order to everything, right? If there's an offside before the handball, then it's offside, fine, whatever. If there's no offside and there's a handball, then it's a penalty. You can make a judgment call if that is a handball, now, I actually, I mean, I think according to the rule book as it is, like anything on the shirt sleeve is not technically a handball, I believe. But, and it like kind of was like conveniently right between his arm and the shirt sleeve, like on that line. So like, again, <laughs> coin flip hilariously enough again, but like. Shirt, shirt sleeves came came back in this weekend between that and the uh, Lukaku goal being yeah, chalked off because yeah. of his shirt sleeve. It's, uh my favorite part of the offside rule. <laughs> I've never complained about it ever. Never ever complained about that yeah, part. Yeah, yeah. So clearly, this is not resolved. Um, but listen, long story short, like the the biggest issue that I see with this decision is the process. Like, not the technology. 
not, I mean, yes, the referees, yes, absolutely. The referees and the personnel, but more so like the process of how, (laughs) how you came to a decision like this. Like it just logically made no sense because I feel like in the last couple of months, we've kind of started to figure out what sort of communication we want to see from VAR. And like, we might not be happy with decision or referee's view of, of something, but at least it's pretty clear like what their subjective error might be, but yeah, we just didn't get that. And to your point, like the ramifications of this could be massive, like really, really massive. Cause if Liverpool lose the league by two points and Everton go down by two points, <laughs> uh, I'm just saying, yeah, no, it's a mess. It's a mess. Anyway, you want to move on to the rest of the top four and then we'll take a break. Yeah, yeah. Let's move on. Elias, <laughs> <laughs> I know you wanted to talk a bit about um United's United's really uh I mean different uh, different from this and what we were seeing maybe about a month and a half ago, the first few Ragnick games and most of the Solskjaer games from this season. A rare game where United utterly dominate have really good chances played actually pretty well as a team and none of their players who we've talked about before like this being the reason that this team is usually always able to stay up around the top of the table recently has just been supreme finishing and we saw none of that um this past weekend and Watford got a big point in a relegation battle that's getting really really tight as well yeah, honestly, let's be real. After this game, I texted Brian. I said, yeah, so my <laughs> my Arsenal crisis arc here has absolutely skyrocketed um, because it's important to note United have played, I believe, three more games than United or than Arsenal, excuse me. And <laughs> the fact that United could not get a win against Watford on, I believe, what was over two XG in a game that honestly, I don't know about you, but I'm starting to realize that, yes, like Ronaldo is not playing well and scoring as many goals, but I don't think this team is also like helping him in any capacity. Like I look around to this midfield and in his head, he must be thinking, damn, I left Juventus getting balls in from some combination of Artur, Ramsey, and uh what's his face rabio and now i'm getting it from the corpse of matich and a brazilian that thinks he's brazilian like i'm gonna be honest that midfield from juventus was not good it was not good no 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 no. No, listen it was not good a it was better but and b he at least had a supporting cast around him on the attacking side and he's like he still somewhat performed like he was in the Serie A top score but like he he created chances and honestly anything that i've seen from united has th- like proper chances have come through Ronaldo. like i yeah. can't believe i'm finding myself oh, they're always him, looking like, for him that might be an issue in its own that, sense that realistically is too. Yeah. <laughs> but but i i this team i honestly thought that matches did okay um i think they look against watford matches is going to look better than than against most other teams of course but um, I thought they were okay. I thought they were okay in the midfield. I thought um, 
I mean, the issue at the end of the day is I, I don't think Ronaldo had a great game, um, but he's not the only one. I thought Bruno also didn't have a good game. I thought Rashford is still looking. I, I don't know. He might. May, I, I really hope that he's that his mentals are good because um, he just looks. It just doesn't look the same player at the moment. Like he he seems indecisive at times, and I think he himself is probably at fault for looking for Ronaldo, um, maybe a bit too much when he has the ball. And he's not the only player, but um, I, I I think that they're in a bad run of attacking form, a bad run of finishing form, especially. But look, there's all these other there's issues across the team. Yeah. Right. But I do think the performances have been better in the last couple of weeks. And I, I think they might be in a similar Lukaku kind of situation where if they just drop Ronaldo for a couple of games like this, it could look a bit more energetic at, at up top, honestly, just ener- energy and and not just this guy who's <laughs> on his own. Yeah. 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 And and and. um someone who's a pure poacher at this point in his career, but still like sometimes trying to drop deep and do this, all yeah. this other stuff, but you know, it's. Well, he's not yeah. messy. I'll tell you that. So yeah, no, I agree. <laughs> but, but as you said, that, that's that those performances in the last couple of weeks, I, I think have been good for United. Just um, I think Arsenal have looked better and, and Arsenal have games in hand and Arsenal are not playing in two other competitions at the moment. Yeah. Yeah. Did you know that this was Arsenal's first win against Wolves at home since 2011? Like Wolves have a very good record at the Emirates and to do that while coming from behind to win, that is a massive accomplishment for the side. And I think it speaks to the, kind of the cohesiveness of this team now it speaks to what i think we're seeing now and the fruits of Mikel arteta's labor we're starting to see a sense of identity about this team as it relates to solidity we're talking about players that are getting consistent playing time i i said this last weekend they're they're my pick to be that fourth fourth spot west ham have just slowly but surely kind of regress back to the mean in some capacity. I'm still scared of them in the Europa League, just for the for the record. But um, yeah, Arsenal, I'm very bullish on. Rian, before we take a break, you want to mention Spurs and whatever grotesque things they did to Leeds, unfortunately. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, uh, so Spurs followed up. <laughs> Followed up that great win against Manchester City where they were almost flawless in attack um, to a 1-0 loss to Burnley midweek, which made it, I think, four losses <laughs> in five. Yeah and, yeah, and once again, Antonio Conte was beside himself just as a human being <laughs> after his team lost. As he should um, be. They, but they followed up with the 4-0 win against Leeds, who have been in total free fall. Um that was their fourth straight Premier League loss and the fifth straight game where they conceded at least three goals in the league. And as we have kind of been talking about on and off this season, Leeds have been looking very rough. And and we caveated that with the fact they've had to deal with a lot of injuries. But outside of that, they just can't seem to um, 
contain any sort of control in games. And, and, and I think they miss Calvin Phillips a lot, but also I think just this kind of way of playing this man marking system as a, as a defense, as a defensive structure, um, it's just not something that can, it's hard for it to work for so long as it has. This is his fourth season. He usually doesn't stay at teams for more than a couple seasons anyway. So fourth season, a lot of the same players. That's why you saw them trying to be very aggressive about getting Brendan Aronson in the, in the winter window. But ultimately, they went from a team that was 12th in expected goal difference per 90 last season, pretty much around, just around, dead even in terms of expected goal difference so this season they're down they're relegation form in that sense almost being trumped by like a whole xg every game and and they just can't it's not sustainable and and now we see um be on his way out rumors of jesse marsh coming in which you know if that gets confirmed that'll be a ride in its own <laughs> sense <laughs> i actually i don't even know if i have positive or negative thoughts about that i just have like thoughts <laughs> like very just objective thoughts yeah that'll be one a different ride but it's still very high intensity soccer you're looking at there yeah. no no man marking but the intensity is not gonna drop very much i need so. i need the clips of you know how jesse marsh when he was at leipzig like he would talk with um what's it called um oh like in german right in like oh yeah, like yeah. very expressive german i need very aggressive like leads accents from him and i need those clips and i would like to see like a northeast need him doing some northeast yeah accents or yeah something. exactly exactly and just uh, everyone looking around like what is going on <laughs> that's great but i think the only thing um to also highlight from this game as you look spurs are, spurs are still not in the best spot for making top four in terms of 538 arsenal I have the best chance of finishing fourth right now. So 538 has them at 61% and Tottenham at 19% with United at 17. Um, Kane, Harry Kane and, and Hungman Son broke um, Frank Lampard and, D- and Didier Drogba's Premier League record for goal combinations. It was, they were tied at 36 after the win um, against City and they broke it this past weekend to 37 and just i mean it's just congrats to them like i i would love to go back and see how much of that has been from like the last two or three seasons because like they that's when they really turned it on right especially starting with that first Mourinho season um so congrats to them and look it's it's still going to take a bit of help for Tottenham to, to finish in fourth place and um i think arsenal are looking in a good spot 100%. They're, yeah. I, I, I agree with you, Elias. Driving seat. I think they, I think it's their solution. They've, no, they've got no other competitions to worry about. This Literally. Season. It would be disappointing if they, if they can't. Also, Arsenal back in the Champions League, like it's been five years, four years. Yeah. Five years. Yeah. I'm and, trying, and I have COVID brain. So. No, no, no. I think you're right. Five, at least five years, at least. Um, and look, Arteta is doing a great job where, we were hesitant to make any real any real distinctions about him um, because of the situation around Arsenal in general. But now I think I think we're I think we'd both be leaning towards a good coach, right? Like good, definitely like a good uh, head coach. And you can see the fruit of his labor paying out now when they have a team 
that looks more like what he wants from the technical side of the ball. And yeah, on another day, we're going to have to talk about Martin Odegaard just basically becoming a regen of Mesut Ozil, <laughs> right? Like yeah. just on his way, on his way to becoming that. I mean, <laughs> we've talked about Martin Odegaard for about a year and a half now. And I, I don't know if there's anything new that I have to say that I haven't said before, other than replaying my recordings to make the world aware of what they're about to experience. Like I've, I saw it a real sociedad. Like I, I know what I'm seeing. It seems like the rest of England is now waking up to figure that out. And I, I love that for him. All right. Well, let's go ahead and wrap this episode up. We talked a lot about England. We talked a lot about what's going on in Chelsea, Russia to the top four. I think we covered basically everything. We'll be back later in the week. We'll talk a little bit about La Liga. We'll talk about what a beautiful, beautiful weekend it was for my team. Um, tears, proper tears flowing. And um, the importance and significance of this, the Sevilla-Real Betis game that also occurred on Sunday. And uh, we'll come back later in the week with our thoughts there. So catch you guys in a little bit. Thanks, guys. Thank you.